0: I really felt compelled to write this story because as the general public, what we often see and hear is the bad side of the nursing homes. We don't get to see the heroic staff that are showing up every day under these very difficult circumstances and challenges to care for our loved ones. And so what does that do that makes us afraid that of putting our loved one in a nursing home when they need that care? And it just doesn't equip us to make change. It, it actually, even as consumers of this healthcare, uh, this, these services, it actually just makes us um, have this bad attitude and, and worry and have anxiety maybe instead of learning what we can do to advocate and even support our local nursing homes.
1: Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day.
0: i am the a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, Nursing Home Administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Oh, well.
1: Welcome to another live recording of the nursing home podcast. The podcast which you've become accustomed to getting a different intro every single time. But additionally, uh, the place where you look for real information about the nursing home industry to know what's really going on, the things that you cannot Google. In today's episode, we are going to carefully discuss the concept of some of the challenges specifically related, I think, to infection control, but maybe not limited to that, um, uh, that exist right now in the nursing home industry. To do that, uh, we have, um, we're introducing today to the podcast uh, Dr. Buffy Lloyd Crachey, who is helping, actively pr- helping prevent infections in nursing homes, is author of the book called Broken. How the Global Pandemic Uncovered a Nursing Home System in Need of Repair and the Heroic Staff Fighting for Change. Dr. Buffy, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here and have this great topic of discussion.
1: Yeah, we are very glad to have you here as well. Um, Before we jump in, if you don't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit of your background and how you got to doing what you're doing right
0: now. Yeah, well, I'll just say I've been in healthcare for over 30 years in different capacities. And um, most specifically in the last 10 years in epidemiology, I've been studying over 10 years, actually, epidemiology and infection prevention and control. And really since 2016, really a targeted focus and mission to supporting nursing homes, implement evidence-based practices um, to reduce infections, keep healthcare workers safe, keep residents safe. So that's, um, my mission and drive is, is really reducing infections in the nursing homes.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Um, this is definitely always a challenge when you take a a lot of people who have, you know, somewhat compromised immune systems and other uh, conditions in a, in a fragile state and you put them together and lots of people coming in and out, going to the hospital, picking up some infections and sharing it with their friends and then going back out and continuing that cycle. Um, but let's focusing specifically on COVID. Mm -hmm. What has your journey been like? I know that you've been in and out of facilities. What, what was, I guess, in what professional capacity and then we'll discuss maybe some of your discoveries.
0: Yeah. So I, I really dove in, uh, Going into on the front line, supporting nursing homes in June of 2020. I worked with the Doctors Without Borders, first ever US based mission. They're a humanitarian organization that have been around for over 50 years, and they had never been in the never had a mission in the United States. So um, they came into the United States, they chose nursing homes amongst some other areas in Detroit, Michigan. And I was hired as their infection control manager. We would go into nursing homes, uh, in the Detroit region, those that had COVID we'd go in and work with their staff, identifying gaps in infection control and how we could rapidly help them, help them, um, implement best practices right away to help prevent the spread of infections. I then went on to, they had a second mission in Houston, Texas, I went into I went to support them there, and to be honest, haven't really stopped. Um, supported I my home base is Arizona. Supported local and state uh, health department, different um, initiatives, and going in and out of facilities. All in all, I was in hundreds of facilities across the country supporting nursing homes with COVID that had COVID to help. Um, reduce the spread rapidly as rapidly as we could once it got in, and then also provide uh, tools for them to try to to keep it out as much as possible. Um, So really been active and involved in in the mitigation and the strategy to um, contain this virus.
1: Fascinating. So this is not an armchair analysis of the nursing homes or COVID or anything like that. This is, you don't get more boots on the ground uh, than this. And you've been there, you've watched COVID come in, you've been involved in managing it, trying to make sure it doesn't come back in or it doesn't go to other places, you know, minimize the effect and all of that. And that itself is could be a whole separate conversation. But let's, we've spoken in quite a bit about COVID, you know, in, in this platform, but let's focus uh, maybe more specifically. What, what are some of the things uh, I guess the keeping holes and systems and other things that you've noticed that are broken um, yeah. in the nursing home space. And I will say that neither of us are here to bash or hurt. Um, nope. I'm only saying neither of us, cause you told me beforehand, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, nursing homes, nursing home operators, we understand the struggles. The point is to point out some of the areas where some of the weaknesses and then hopefully um, maybe even discuss the sequel to Broken.
0: Yeah. No, I'm definitely an advocate. My My passion is to help the nursing homes, to help the workers. So many of the things that I've seen and experience every day when I talk to nursing home operators and work with the staff is they want to do the right thing. They they want to deliver good care. It's just they're often they're often limited based on on funding, based on lack of staffing. I mean, there's there's a whole range of challenges that prevent our nursing homes to truly be successful. And I'll just say, I never plan on writing a book. I was pretty busy, so that was not really what I needed to do. Um, but I really felt compelled because out of the hundreds of facilities that I was in across the country. I, I kept hearing the same story over and over again. You know, the lack of support, the lack of supplies, um, the regulatory agency coming in and and pretty much fault finding in the middle of a crisis um, and, you know, handing out citations versus support. And it, it was just absolutely devastating to the nursing home operators and to the staff. It um, just weakened the morale and I really felt compelled to write this story because as the general public, what we often see and hear is the bad side of the nursing homes. We don't get to see the heroic staff that are showing up every day under these very difficult circumstances and challenges to care for our loved ones. And so what does that do that makes us afraid that of putting our loved one in a nursing home when they need that care and it just doesn't equip us to make change. It, it actually, even as consumers of this healthcare, uh, this, these services, it actually just makes us um, have this bad attitude and, and worry and have anxiety maybe instead of learning what we can do to advocate and even support our local nursing homes.
1: Well, so that was very well said. And I will say that I couldn't agree with you more um, a big push for starting this podcast is because I've I've seen together with everybody else the devastation that the the media does to nursing homes and sometimes has very practical effects. There there are nursing homes that have been forced to close down and yes. and uh, for really for no real reason. You know, taking a a report from the Department of Public Health. I'll, I'll name that regulatory body. Uh, <laughs> Department of Public Health and um, and sensationalizing it and making it a big story and something that first of all you know one of the the, the heaviest uh, regulations and strictest regulations from any industry right. you know, is very very heavy heavily regulated and unfortunately like you mentioned before you humbly mentioned that you've been to hundreds of facilities across the country so um, if if you're not Credential to give an opinion than who is, uh, and, you, and you know I know personally of cases like this, and you shared the same thing uh, where there's a COVID outbreak. So instead of receiving, you know, the type of support that maybe Doctors Without Borders is and other organizations may be providing, you're literally having surveyors walking up and down between sick patients, looking for citations and pointing out the obvious. Hey, there's no staff here. We know that. People are petrified to come in here. Every single person who's in here right now, we're literally putting our, our lives at risk for other people. Like these are from the best human beings on the planet, mm-hmm. and instead of being, you know, heralded as heroes for coming in and doing, everyone else is at home, you know, bunkered up, worried about toilet paper. They're here, hands on, caring for the people who cannot care for themselves, and instead of, you know, um, inst- instead of recognizing that, or at least allowing it to happen. You know, literally getting in the way and, you know, showing, hey, you don't have enough staff. You know, really, would you like to care for this patient? Do you right. have someone that you can send? You know, are you going to, you know, do you have supplies that you can bring? So that is, it's just, it's so frustrating. Um, yeah, I know I've said this on, the, in the, you know, on the podcast in the past. But, you know, initially when I started as an administrator, I naively wanted to believe that we're all on the same side of, of the table and the caregivers and the regulators. And sometimes that's true. And uh, that definitely is sometimes true. And I'm not saying that all regulators are bad, but as a whole, it's, I guess, it's, it's broken. I mean, like really, really broken. And I think everybody can agree that it's important to have people driving on the highway and it's important to have people enforcing that the rules, to have rules, and someone has to enforce that they're followed. Who does what? Everyone will go to where they naturally gravitate. And that that applies to nursing homes as it does to fast food chains and nuclear power plants and hospitals and hotels and anything else that should, maybe not hotels, but that should be regulated. Um, But it should be in a supportive way. It shouldn't, you know, the the way that it's done, like that's such an obvious blatant um, deviation from a mission if there is one. Why are you handing out citations? There was a call. I'm going to let you talk in a minute. You just got me worked up a little bit. I
0: love it. I mean, this is,
1: there was a call with a bunch of operators of a certain state, which will remain nameless for now, but I know people were on that call with the governor of the state during COVID when many of them had outbreaks in their buildings discussing the new staffing regulations that were going into place. And everyone's just like listening and, you know, hanging their head and like, okay, so a new set of citations is going to come out and there may or may not be, you know, uh, financial penalties, um, but then someone had the guts to speak up, you know, Mr. Governor where do you expect us to get these people from you know we have COVID in our building people don't want to work here they're risking their lives we don't we can't tell them that they're going to be safe administrators died the ons died nurses died cnas died from covid right. that they got from their patients these are facts everybody knows that and it's definitely it's it's a big risk yes of course with proper infection control prevention all that um you know they can mitigate the risks but People don't want to come and then the same government that's regulating, heavily regulating or unreasonably regulating, uh, the industry is also giving out, not anymore, but at that point, untold amounts of money when they're literally making more money staying home than coming. So you could stay home, make a lot of money or risk your life and work crazy hours um, in a nursing home. So which one will you choose? And now that you cannot convince those people to make the completely unreasonable decision to come in um, and now you get penalized for that. All right. I feel better. Thank you for listening.
0: <laughs> well, I just want to add to this, this scenario. I love the, the talk about, you know, people drive. And so we, we have, you know, police officers that, you know, we regulate the speed. Now imagine if there's a category five hurricane barreling in on your city and you're told to evacuate. So you're told to evacuate. However, at the same time, the number of police officers has gone up maybe seven times to make sure they're pulling people over and giving them a ticket if they're speeding. Right. Now, what, what part of that would make any sense at all, right? You're in the middle of a crisis. You need to get to safety, but we're going to pull you over and give you a speeding ticket. That's, that's essentially what has happened during covid where all CMS surveys were suspended. Hospitals, outpatient, nursing homes, every one of them was suspended. But nursing homes were actually, the the surveyors were funded $80 million to do targeted infection control surveys for nursing homes only when they had an outbreak. So just as you described, during their darkest hour, when they have no PPE, half their staff have quit or they're sick. State surveyors walk in the door, not to help, not to say, let us help you, but to literally stay on site for days, watching every single thing your staff do and citing them for any mistake. Citing two nurses, citing them for not disinfecting a pen when they're sharing it between nurses. Stuff that wasn't significant. And when you have $80 million, that is towards a process, how are you going to prove that you're actually using those dollars appropriately? Well, the more citations you have, this shows you're doing your job. And that's literally, that's what the expectation was. I I talk in my book, I have several examples in my book that describe the devastating effects of this process for the nursing homes. When they were doing everything they could to keep our residents alive, to provide care. And from the very beginning, this was the, this was the federal response for our nursing homes. From the very first outbreak in Washington, this is what this is really what set the stage. So not only were we underprepared, the whole nation was underprepared. Every healthcare setting was underprepared. Long-term care, I would say, was even more unprepared because our infection control practices weren't quite as robust as what we have in hospitals and other healthcare settings. It was very difficult to get PPE if we weren't part of a large hospital system. And so we really were kind of pushed. And then we were, were required to take patients with COVID. Whether we wanted to or not, we were forced to. And so whether we were prepared or not, whether we had the staff or not, we were forced to. And then we had a survey process that came in and pretty much pounced on us more. This, this truly was the greatest pain that I experienced and heard from operators and staff all over the country. It wasn't so much COVID because, you know, in long-term care, we rally, we, 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 we are scrappy. We make do, we get things done. Um, But it was the survey process at a time when the guidance and recommendations were changing sometimes daily, twice a day, and they were no longer recommendations; they were law. And if we didn't follow every word to the way it was written, we were cited. I mean, I, I helped facilities across the country, IDR, the, the fight, fight the, the state surveys, and, and they were they would quote us word for word what the CDC said, even CDC said, even if it had been different two weeks prior. Even if it had been different five days prior, they, they would write their citation based on, on, on what the new guidance was. It, it was just impossible. It was a, impossible to keep up. And it, it just wasn't, it just was, it's so inappropriate and harmful. And I don't know about you, you know, we've always had turnover in long-term care. That's no surprise. But now I'm seeing people that have been in it for their whole career, administrators, DONs, executive, you know, people that have really given their life to this work, they're leaving because they're like, this is, it's it's too much. We want to do a good job, but we're in a straitjacket and can't. So my plea to the public, to this, to the government is help us, help us do the right thing instead of constantly punishing us and expecting us to do, to deliver quality care. When we're constantly getting knocked down.
1: Very well said. Uh, we, could, we could definitely hear uh, the passion and the pain um, which is not just for you uh, but which is for for all, you know, all the other facilities that you visited and the ones that you haven't. Right. Um, I, I would add to it that I, I don't think that there's cruelty uh, that's intended with with some of this supervision. It comes from a react, a, a, a reaction to public opinion which is generated and sensationalized in the media so when there's a strong public pressure that and it's per, it's perceived that nursing homes are killing people during COVID, right that's that's the narrative that's being regurgitated uh over and over and over in the media and you know nursing homes became the the center of attention in the beginning right right in the, uh, that's how it sure. came to the country right sure. um initially so now it's like, oh my gosh, government, you have to protect our, you know, our our delicate and fragile seniors. What are you going to do? So there's money. Now, what do you do with the money? So now that's, I probably, you know, where, forget the nursing home system, that's where the government system is broken, where instead of taking that money and channeling it towards PPE, right. you know, nursing, nursing homes didn't even have money. They, no. even, if they, even if they had access to it, but right. the prices were insane at that point. Um, so instead of providing them money for staffing, providing, them, and I wouldn't, again, I, we're painting with broad strokes here, that there have been funds that, w- that definitely were available, and the government did give out COVID payments, maybe too little, too late. Um, I don't know if it was too little, but maybe too late, um, and not at the right times. But it's really, and government is not government. You know, there's many, you know, we're oversimplifying it this year. Uh, right. But the point is, it doesn't change uh, what, what happens boots on the ground. And truth is, before COVID, it wasn't as pronounced. But that system was broken uh, before COVID as well. Uh, the regulatory, the regulations. At uh, what other industry do you have it that they can be daily writing new rules and new laws? You're immediately responsible for it, um, and literally to you know to the letter, uh, literally to the letter. And if anything has changed, even slightly, you know you're going to be held completely completely liable completely ignoring the overall goal which is you know to provide a dignified existence and um you know in this type of care setting which is so, like you said before just so necessary um there's just so I'm not so ne- I'm
0: not against regulations I mean we we do need regulations in this healthcare setting we need responsible regulations and instead what's really kind of happened is you know you have one bad facility or one bad incidents happen. And then the ho- in, in response to that, we throw tons of more regulations at the industry. And it's, it's crippling now because the burden is so so great. Um, it's impossible really uh, to, to operate under.
1: 100%. I mean, I, I would want to take a pause here just to focus on a comment that I think you can see on the screen now as well. Uh, that taking all relevant precautions is always important. So showing up as LinkedIn user, I've worked I've worked directly with COVID nineteen patients throughout these last few years. Most of my calls have not been affected. I felt they had a higher chance of getting infected outside the hospital, which comes from that type of um, can do attitude, like you said, which exists so much in long term care. Um, but I agree, taking care of COVID nineteen patients does take a toll even on the best of us, which is. Which is true, and like you mentioned before, so many people are have and are unfortunately leaving uh, the industry because you know they just said enough is enough. We care about it, but you know we we care about ourselves as well. But let's let's move on the conversation if you don't mind. To within the nursing home itself, what other systems within the nursing home um, were highlighted uh, through COVID? And I would definitely want to get to maybe some possible things that. Whether it's administrator or director of nurses or even infection control specialist, which became a very important role, uh, even more important role in many facilities, you know, know, some of the things that they may be able to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, before COVID, I very much was an advocate in implementing evidence-based practices, infection prevention practices in our long-term care facilities. We we were starting to get there very slowly before COVID, and then we were just kind of thrown in the deep end, like ready or not, here you are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, November of 2019, the federal rule was to have a part-time infection preventionist on staff. But what I wanna say about that is we need that role, but unfortunately, because of our staffing shortages, that, that infection preventionist cannot typically only do infection prevention, right? They have to, the DSD um, or the the um, MDS coordinator or the ADON or the director of nurses, you know, it's very rare they get to devote that time. And what I see is they, they're very, very green. So many infection preventionists, they're, one day they walk into work and they're assigned the infection prevention role because they need to have that designated role. And so even before COVID and during COVID, and long after we need training, we need education. So one of the things that my company does is we do boots on the ground still. We're going into dozens of facilities every month. We're working on with, a, with a, as a collaborative partner, as a mentor, a coach, we work with the infection preventionist and we support them. We celebrate what they're doing well because we all need to be celebrated. And then we identify the gaps in their infection prevention program simple things that don't necessarily have to cost money to fix, just some different way of thinking and training um, that can really make their job a lot better. So we really need this more supportive, collaborative work. And I'm very much an advocate for boots on the ground. A lot of our public health support comes remotely because it's more cost effective. I totally get that. Um, But we need support in the buildings. Our staff need us. The nursing homes need us. And again, not the only people coming in the building are typically the surveyors. Um, we do have through the Department of Health. We do have the CDC's division, the HAI, the Healthcare Associated Infection Epidemiologist. They'll Sometimes they'll, they'll come on site and do like an ICAR. I know some states are very, they're much more robust about that, which is awesome. Um, and we need more of that. So I would say that that support, that education and training, our, our nursing homes are hungry for that. They want that. Our staff wants that. Um, and we, we just, we need to be able to provide that more.
1: Yeah, I would just like caution. I mean, you know this. But if that support is coming from the government, they're going to be very reluctant and probably not as receptive if they are coming in as an official member of the Department of Public Health or an associated government body because there's a big lack of trust. Uh, sure, between 100%. The like, oh, we're coming from the Department of Public Health. We're not giving out any citations. We're just coming to help. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. That well,
0: you are one hundred percent correct. And actually, with the Department of Health, it they are bound if they do. They do have certain criteria if they do see something, they have to report it right, to the They do. So, um, you know, so that was that is the biggest challenge. I even haven't even working with Doctors Without Borders is gaining that trust right away. Like we are truly here to help you, and we're not mandatory reporters and you know we are here to support you and coach you and guide you and and help you and so um you know once we're there for a few minutes and we start giving them some training and education i think they get that and they're like okay they really are here to help right. but that's the biggest hurdle i mean we offer free on site support for hundreds of facilities and that's the hardest part is getting our foot in the door to help them because they're so used to the punitive nature that they're like, no, thanks, nah, we'll pass. Exactly, <laughs> you very <know>? well
1: said. <laughs> Right, it is a very very punitive uh, type of environment, which is like, you know, even, even during survey, you'll have a nice survey, will say, oh, let me just show you, maybe try it this way, maybe try it that way. Um, going back to the highway example, it's like a nice cop saying, oh, here, just pull up like this, oh, you jumped the stop sign. Oh, you just told me to, huh? you still jumped the stop sign doesn't say in the regulation if a cop tells you to do it, that you're off the hook, right? So, And that's kind of what people come to expect. Um, we could probably go on much longer about this, but let, let, let's shift gears uh, specifically to solutions. So if we, uh, you know, someone's, let, let's say, an infectious um, infection control specialist in the facility, and they're green, like you said, and they, they really want to step up their game, Um so you spoke a little bit about what we can do for that, but let, let, let's uh, let, let's shift from there to staffing. What have you seen from staffing levels, and what do you think is something that maybe facilities can do right now to address that problem?
0: Well, first and foremost, um, facilities. Any actually person watching this this podcast today or any time, um, they can reach out to their state uh, representative. Their um, their congressman or woman, they can reach out to their senators, the TNA program, the temporary nursing assistant program actually went away June sixth, which was three days ago. And that program actually was instrumental in helping us get people in the building and to have a pathway towards uh, becoming a certified nursing assistant. And right now that's so critical because, you know, with inflation and the rates high everywhere, people need work now. So if it's going to take them three months to go through a CNA training program without pay, they're going to go get a job somewhere else versus this TNA program. They can start work immediately in the facilities and then the facility can train them up and go through it to where then they can become a certified nursing assistant. So we need that pathway. And we've been told by CMS, it's going to take an act of Congress to bring it back. So let's reach out to our representatives and tell them we need this, um, especially with the staffing shortages that we have right now. This is a no-brainer, and it's not requiring any funding from the government. The nursing homes pay for the training. Uh, it's, it's been a tremendous support to getting staff in our buildings. Um, there's definitely calls right now for uh, you know, 24-7 nursing on site. Um, what I say about that is Just like what you said earlier, if we if we don't have the staff to bring them in, you know, we can't mandate these these items until we have the staff that we that we can support to do the work. So, um, you know, but in order to to be able to bring in the staffing, we need to be able to have competitive wages. Um, There's also on the books and actually people have till tomorrow, June 10th, to write in um, the there's a proposed um, budget cut. For a 3% from CMS. Um, and, you know, we don't need budget cuts from Medicare. We need increases. So this budget cut there, the proposal is that it happens in a year. And, you know, the industry is like, no, we'll just expand it over three. We'll take the cut, but just don't make it all at once. So, you know, you can write to your um, your 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 legislators and ask them to, to extend this and not we we just can't take these financial hits right now as an industry. Uh, we need to pay our 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 staff competitive wages, um, or we won't have staff, and then we won't have an industry. And we need post acute care, like we need it. And I'll just say, you know, in my book, I talk about post acute care is not just for elderly. I mean, I talk about a 24 year old in my book that was in a car accident and needed six weeks in post-acute. I talk about a mom that son was in a nursing home for 20 years. So we need to, we need to care more and we need to, we need to support this industry more.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I hate saying it out loud, but I, I know that it's true. And you just said it, uh, you, you said it yourself, which is why I'll take the liberty. Uh, you said we need to care more. Um, the the real truth is it, 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 our society as a whole or decision makers as a whole, you know, numbers don't lie, as they say. So where we allocate our resources tells us the level of importance something has. Um, by making cuts in such a vulnerable, barely surviving industry, um, it, unfortunately, is indicative of where the decision makers see this on you know, on, on the general scheme of things. And it's unfortunate, but I think that that is the reality. And even, even if, which I completely disagree on so many different levels, um, even if someone doesn't share the same uh, respect, fascination, um, really respect is the right word, and the dignity for our seniors, but like you, po- you pointed out, this is not other people. This is everybody.
0: Everybody.
1: This is, this is uh, there's plenty of, you know, post-acute care. If someone goes through a, a very significant surgery and, and doesn't have a home setting that they can go to to recuperate properly. They may need some inpatient uh, rehab care. You know, they're, they're, almost every nursing home is called the nursing and rehab centers, two separate mm-hmm. services. But right? There's a rehab service, which has nothing to do with old people. Um, and the fact that there are cuts coming down, um, Yeah. I don't like saying it so much. Uh, the the people who go into this. And by the way, people also say you, you see a guy pull up to a nursing home um, in a big fancy car, let's say, and owns ten nursing homes, twenty nursing homes, whatever it is. And people are like, "Whoa, he's driving such a fancy car!" And and look, uh, you know, I'm still making twelve fifty an hour. You realize that this same businessman could have bought hotels, could have bought cryptocurrency, and could be did. And this is just a part of the portfolio. And they're choosing to invest their time, money, and resources into this industry. I'm sure that financially it makes sense for them. But many of them, they care deeply about the people that right. are cared for in their facilities. I'm not speaking for everybody, right. um, but this certainly, this certainly is the case. It, this is a a business that they want to be busy with, with all the challenges. And it it's it starts, you know, from the very top. But and it, from the, you know, it should, and a healthy company start from, you know, ownership level and all the financial stakeholders, I'm not even saying down or up, but including, you know, the, whether it's the CNA's, the housekeepers, whether it's the person fixing the oven in the kitchen or wh- whoever it is, um, you know, it, it just, um, it comes from such a place and it's important that, that you know, we realize, you know, who's who, the, you know, on whatever level that they're on. Um, so, so solution-based, number one, is the TNA program, which certainly helped. Um, Solution-wise is reaching out to our government officials, which certainly is a first, it's a step. Um, are, do you, are you familiar with I'm Not? Uh, are you familiar with a, any, or maybe I am, um, organized efforts to sway the government opinion in regards to the TNA program? So I know they have all the associations. I'm just thinking here. You no, know, of of all the different nursing home associations, so they do put pressure to try and change. Yeah, I things. mean,
0: I was in D.C. on Monday and Tuesday on Capitol Hill with ACA and NCAL. and there you know, are over 500 of us that were talking with our um, House representatives, senators, and you know, really advocate. That's why we have until tomorrow, <laughs> basically. Uh, well, tomorrow is for the um, the Medicare cuts. We have that's kind of the the time period we have to 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 write, you know, about that. Um, the, the TNA program, you know, that just basically went away on the sixth. So, but yes, we, we were in Washington, you know, advocating for change and um, you know, that we, we need the government approach, you know, we need, we need that support. Um, It's just everyday people, but they're making decisions that they don't necessarily know about. Right. And so we have to be the voice and that's, that's very important because we need to bring these issues to them so they can make the right decisions because I think that it's easier to kind of do things the way we've always done them. And with this system being so punitive, it's kind of easy just to lean in towards that. And so it takes courage to say, you know what, we're going to do it a little bit differently and see, see if we can get some different results from that.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Um, Dr. Buffy, it's been amazing having you on the nursing home podcast. Uh, One last thing before we let you go, and then I want you just also to share the information about your book and where people can get it. But just before we get to that, um, what do you see as the next two years in the nursing home industry? Where where do you see like best case scenario where we can be? What would be considered success and progress, Um, you know, with an eye to the future? in regards to the you know regulatory um, enforcement, in regards to staff, in regards to everything we've discussed?
0: Well, for me, um, if we did nothing about changing the regulatory enforcement, let's just say that stayed the same. Let's put the same effort towards collaboration and support. Let's put the same funding, if not more funding, towards actually assisting our nursing homes, more boots on the ground, more um, coaching, training, educating. And let's just stop throwing punishment at them and pointing out what they're doing wrong. But let's actually reach our arm across and and help them um, to be successful. So, you know, we need to do that. Absolutely. And I'm not even saying fine, let's not even if we don't change anything about the regulations. Let's put that amount of effort into helping and supporting and that collaborative effort. We need to be more proactive in preventing infections. The research shows anywhere from 40 to 70% of our infections are preventable. So we really need support in that area too. Again, coaching, um, guidance, training. We need need to help our, our nursing homes. And I think if we took that approach of how can we help them, Versus, we're going to punish them because of all the horrible things they do. I think we can go a really long ways.
1: Amazing, amazing. Uh, really, would hope to to see that actually happen, and to, you know, to see that to see that shift. Uh, I, you just got me thinking. Is that something else that you know you said? Like, if we continue um, as is, or you know, continuing leaning into the way things were. May, might not be so pretty. It's time to you know change things up a bit. Well, one of the things that's important for us to realize is that nursing homes are not the are not the they're a completely different institution than what they were thirty 100%. years ago or sixty years ago. That they're not they're not places for you know everyone who calls it the little old ladies, you know where they're you know knitting and playing bingo and doing whatever they're doing. And it's the place where they're living. It's the community hospitals of yesterday. So. The regula- nothing true. has adjusted. Reimbursement is not adjusted. The regulatory compliance is not adjusted for that. You know, the hospital regulations is less. It's right. less punitive. It's less sure. And over there, we're talking, you know, the deaths happen there all the time. And, you know, are those preventable? Maybe. I mean, that, that's all in this sure. to be an expert in, but there's no reason why they should have less regulation.
0: Right. But
1: that, that is the way that it is. Um, if somebody wants, so, so your book is out. Broken, Yes. As you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. Um, so uh, give us the blurb about your book and where is, if someone can pick up a yeah. copy. Yeah.
0: Well, like I said, I've really felt compelled to write this book and tell the story. It's not just my story. It's interviews from nursing home administrators, staff, patients. Uh, it's interviews from academic researchers, even the regulatory side of things. I, I had our Arizona bureau chief interviewed her to, to give a really well-round perspective of what's going on. I talk about what happened before the pandemic and how we were really ramping up and starting to really focus on infection control. And then, you know, of course, what's occurred during the pandemic, the challenges our nursing homes have had to endure. And then really the last few chapters are are leaning into the solution. You know, what can we do? How can we support our staff? How can we um, support best practices? How can we change the broken regulatory system from, constantly being punitive to more supportive um, and really what that looks like going forward. And then the last chapter is even towards consumers. What does it look like for you caring for your loved one? You know, if your loved one is a nursing home, what can you do to advocate for change and to support and um, support the the care that your loved one is receiving? And there's a, a great there's a great story in there about um, Twyla Bridges, who cared for her son. Who was in a nursing home 20 years and her great advocacy and work that she did and um, so this is this is the first step you know um, the book is on Amazon you can you can get it it's available um, hope you will purchase it and share it with everybody you know because this is a an issue that we as a society really need to work on and because every one of us is really touched by this by this this issue.
1: Amazing, amazing. We can definitely share a link to that. Um, okay, I'm, I'm waiting to see when it's gonna be available on Audible. Okay, oh, I,
0: I gotta get that out. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Uh,
0: uh, I, I think I need to get on that sooner rather than later,
1: <laughs> especially the, the a lot of the people that should be reading this book spend a couple hours a day commuting.
0: Sure,
1: um, that's when I got really into all that stuff. But that's amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Buffy, for coming on the nursing home podcast. My to listen pleasure. to this podcast and to listen to previous episodes, you can head on over to the nursinghomepodcast.com or you can go to any other place where you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate you sharing your perspective uh, with our listeners and viewers. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the nursing home podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know. What an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.